0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. As always, please be sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us wherever you are listening. You can leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Today, we're joined by Aaron Goodman. Now, Aaron was born and raised in Canada, but left for Nashville at the age of 25 to chase his dreams of country music stardom. Now, after grinding it out and riding the highs and lows of a music career, he finally got the big break he was looking for in the States earlier this year. Now in Canada, he has found great success with his music, but in the States, it's always been a slow and steady grind. But in October, that is when Bobby Bones caught wind of his single Lonely Drum. Not only did he play that song during his Friday morning dance party, he invited Aaron onto his show. And then Aaron was named the Spotlight Artist of the Week on the Top 30 Countdown. It's all been a roller coaster. And all the while, Aaron had a number one in Canada with Boy Like Me, and he released his new EP, Lucky Stars. It's been an incredible journey and one we were excited to learn more about. So please enjoy our conversation with Aaron Goodwin. Let's start out with Congratulations, another number one hit on Canadian radio. How does this one feel? Number two, is there a different feeling to it at all?
1: Uh, I mean, we were just so happy we got the first one. So, um, uh, you know, we set out when we made this record, we uh, we had four songs that we went and cut right off the bat. And um, Matt and I, my producer and I were joking the whole time that we were going after four number ones. um and uh so uh i guess you know ask and you shall receive i don't know that we'll get four but um but it was uh, a lot of fun to think that way and and thank country radio enough i mean they got behind this song right from the first note that they heard it and uh um you know that makes all the difference in the world when you got everybody on the same page and they you know so many things have to happen for a song to go number one so we're you know we're just feeling pretty lucky so
0: and in the world of streaming you have number ones on the radio you have gold records platinum records and then you have streaming so where does it all fit like where does a number one song on radio fit these days within a life cycle of a song and deeming a song successful
1: yeah it's kind of like a i don't know i mean i think we're streaming pretty good on boy like me but uh, streaming is kind of a newer world to me like i grew up um going to uh grand prairie to buy uh cds at the sound waves every time i'd go i'd go i would go uh there's a little store called sound waves and my mom and i would go every tuesday i'd do voice and guitar lessons i'd get out of school early and do that when i was i don't know 13 or 14 and um and I would go buy it. and that was Tuesday when records came out on Tuesday. So right. I, like I'm so used to like uh, going to the store to buy that and reading all the liner notes. I
0: believe your mom drove, what was it, about an hour and 20 minutes, one way to take you to those guitar and singing lessons. So what age did those start for you?
1: Uh, It was probably around 12 or 13, somewhere in there. Um, it was very early on. Uh, my mom was kind of the early believer, I think in a lot of, um, in a lot of like what I did, uh, I think she saw something that nobody else really saw, which, you know, in hindsight, I'm very grateful for. Um, I feel bad for her. I'm sure I was a very pitchy singer when I first started. So (laughs) I'm sure she, she, people thought she was crazy, but, um, but, you know, I think the main thing that we saw early on was, like, when I got on stage, um, there was a um, – there was something else going on. You know, you could tell that um, that I kind of craved that attention. Uh, I liked it. I knew how to handle it even very early on. Um, and so – and I had a little bit of a showman thing going on. So the rest was, like, for me, I was, like, I just had to learn how to do all these other things. Um Uh, that didn't come as naturally as like being on stage. So, Uh, but you know, mom was a big part of my career early on. I would not be here. Wouldn't have made it this far for sure if (laughs) I didn't have uh, her. And then dad sort of slowly um, um, joined us. I think probably when I was 17 or 18, he'd start coming to shows and um, started like seeing what was happening and um, then became very invested. And then, there's a ton of stories I could tell you about us, uh, trying to make it work. You know, it was, (laughs) it wasn't easy, you know, it was very, uh, it was very difficult, you know, and and there was always money that had to be spent. There was always, you know, things that we had to do to, you know, just kind of get to that next level. So it's, it's, um, but no, I'm very grateful for my parents. They, uh, they did a lot for me. So,
0: and that performing side of things and at 12 or 13, you decided this is something you wanted to learn. But on the performance side, what age were you when you sort of got that bug and you realized that it was something you enjoyed?
1: Yeah, the first the first karaoke contest I did, I was 12. Uh, it was at the Grand Prairie Mall. Um, and I sang uh, uh, Be My Baby Tonight by John Michael Montgomery. And uh, I remember... I just remember being on, I I don't remember a lot about it. I just remember being on stage long. And then the next year, um, I went and did that same contest. And I think I won second place and I bought golf clubs with my $200 from Zellers. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, sold. I was like, Oh, I can make money doing this and I can buy golf clubs. This is awesome. So, um, you know, and then it, and then it all started, started to like, you know, funnel from there. My, uh, um, you know, we would start entering contests anywhere that we could see something. Um, My mom, we went to, I can't remember, I think it was High Prairie one time, uh, Alberta, and I did a contest where I didn't get picked and, but mom had videotaped it and like sent it into the organizers and was like, what are you guys looking for? Like we thought, you know, we'd be, and of course, after that, they'd invite us down. So my mom was always like, my mom was always like in there, like a dirty shirt. Like, Hey, how come, why didn't this work? And why didn't this, and sending videotapes and like just doing whatever it took to kind of get me, you know, a more, more and more opportunities to be on stage. So.
0: Right. And what was the first competition that you actually won?
1: I don't know that I ever won one to oh, be really? honest. <laughs> I, well, it's much like most of my career. Uh, um, i always got second place i never i always got beat up by somebody who was who was honestly a better probably singer than i was um i um i had everything else but that really i think i had the charisma and i had the you know all that but um <laughs> when it came to like being technically perfect you know i would just never win um but uh i always laughed because i was like i feel like people just you know give me number ones and awards and stuff like that. Cause I just won't go away. They're like, God, this guy will not stop. <laughs> and uh, he just drives us nuts. The, the one that I remember, I entered the country vocal spotlight, um, I want to say six times um, and never won it. And then the last year there was a guy named Mike Gucci, who's a longtime friend, uh, beat me out. Incredible singer, great singer. And um, uh beat me that year everybody thought i was kind of poised to win that year because i'd been in it for so long and they're like so what they did is i didn't win it but they they gave me everything that the winner got basically oh really they, yeah they're like aaron got second but we're just gonna we're gonna put him in the in the global country program and we're gonna you know take him to nashville and we're gonna do all this stuff and so <laughs> i kind of like you know just like i like i said i don't think i ever won anything that's why you know winning a ccma award was like kind of mind-blowing to me you know i uh, the awards are you know um a nice bonus uh to what we do um but it's definitely not why i do it you know or uh, what i'm going after so you know awards are great but you know at the end of the day it's for me it's about being on stage and playing my songs for people so
0: and so going down to nashville after you were given that opportunity with that showcase now let's talk about before that at 18 did you have a band before the whole nashville thing started
1: yes so i um it was kind of during and all through that but um yeah i started a band when i was 18 um with uh three guys who have gone on to um be great players in the canadian industry um great dudes um Matt McKay was my guitar player. He plays for Brett Kissel. uh, Now, Ben Bradley also plays for Brett Kissel, who's my drummer. Um, And then uh, Dylan Gillette was my bass player, um, who's gone on to kind of be a solo artist and play for a bunch of people. And um, yeah, we started that band. It was Aaron, Jake Goodman, and Fastlane. And we toured around Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC for uh, years. five or six years oh, Okay, uh, got it got as big as we could get without having a song on the radio or anything we we kind of made it to you know we played all the rodeo cabarets and we were kind of like you know we played a bunch of cover songs um um you know uh, in a way it was like a party thing but in another way it was we got these uh incredible harmonies that i think people just kind of um you know gravitated towards and um, so during all of that, I, you know, well, while that was kind of going on, I was always Dylan and I would go, we played a networking night one night and, uh, he, uh, Miles Wilkinson was in the audience. Miles was a big, uh, player early on in my career in Nashville. And he lived in Nashville. He was there producing a record up in Edmonton. And he had heard my songs at this networking night, me and Dylan playing them. And he was like, he's like, well, I want to record this band that you have. And, uh, but he says, I want you to come to Nashville and write some songs. Um, and I was like, cool, I'll be there tomorrow. Like, when do you need me there? And, uh, and he was like, because, and so then as he, he sort of gave me the first invite and I just started making trips and staying at his house. And I kind of had an in down there. Some of my, I was in writing rooms. I had no business being in, um, uh just amazing writers uh that gave me time because of miles and um and it started off this uh this this kind of path to being a songwriter so
0: and what age were you when you first went down with miles to start that journey with him
1: i was 20 years old 20 or 21 somewhere there
0: okay and so what was that like that introduction to Nashville after doing it in Canada and doing the regional scene, was it an eye opener going down there or did you find it pretty easy to sort of get accustomed to that lifestyle?
1: Well, I was, uh, I was one of these really nerdy dudes that read every liner note to every country record ever made. So (laughs) like I, I would go places and people would be like, Um, you know, I'd go to like writer's rounds or whatever, and I would like know the guys that were up there without meeting them. Like, actually, I didn't know who they were, but I knew their names. Right. Like one time in particular, there was a guy that was up there playing and, uh, he was like, he came off stage or I ended up talking to his wife and I was just sitting there and, and she was like, Oh, uh, blah, blah. And I was like, Hey, did did your husband write, you know, Marriage Just a Plain Jane on Rick Trevino? She looked at me like, how the hell do you know that? Like, cause <laughs> you know, it wasn't a big song or a big, and so then she was like, oh my God, you know? And then, so she would tell that writer, you know, uh, this guy knows your song on the on this record. And, and then, so I would like make relationships like that. Um, but I, I was very plugged in when I first came to Nashville. I was very lucky because I had, somebody who believed in my talent, um, and also recorded every song. We just did guitar vocals. Uh, so I had a guy that he was an engineer miles. And so I would sit in, his like, you know, uh, in this little extra room he had off of his house, I slept on his couch and then I'd go into town. He'd drive me around. I couldn't even rent a car at that time. He'd drive (laughs) me to my rights. And then I would come back and I would, we would lay the songs down, um, just like guitar vocals. And we would just kind of develop, you know, and um I learned a lot early on in those days. I, like I said, I was very lucky to be um plugged in the way I was. I still have relationships from that first trip, you know people that I met on that first uh, on that first go around. so it's uh um and then I just started making trips like five or six trips a year until I was about 25 so.
0: Yeah, when you were 25, you made the move down to Nashville. Now, as a Canadian artist, there aren't a lot of artists who do that, who make the permanent move to Nashville. So, what was it within you that wanted to make that move, wanted to be down there full time doing it?
1: I just wanted to be the best. I mean, there was no, uh, when I, when I write, so, You know, I I relate a lot of things to hockey um, because I played hockey growing up, but, um, you know, I found out really, really quickly, like if I wanted to have, you know, a big career, um, which I was always kind of, I've always had these like way out of reach, ridiculous dreams um, that and read a lot of books about that. And, uh, you know, I was introduced to the secret early on when I was writing in Nashville, I was living on Stephen Lee Olson's couch at the time. Uh, for $10 a day, and he showed me that and I sort of went down this path and I started to kind of develop these really big dreams and, um, and so I knew that Nashville was where I had to be like there was no, um, the amount of conversations I had with people they're like, you know, you have to be here, you know, if you want to be a, you know, a hit writer, or a, a, you know, giant artist or whatever it is like, I figured out pretty early on that I would that I needed to do it. Um, the circumstances that got me to Nashville are quite interesting. Um, But, uh, but I made the move regardless. And um, I was 25 when I did it. Uh, I had, uh, uh, through uh, another friend of mine, I always had, I was always finding different ways, but I ended up getting a work visa to play in a band um, of a young girl from Canada um, named Leah Durrell. And, and so I was like, Oh man, I need to like use this and I can move here and then, so I was always like finding ways to to get around stuff and uh um it was a it was a it was a big move. It was a little bit of um a lot of it was a culture shock. You know, there was a lot of uh uh there was a lot of debauchery that went on with everything and and uh you know, I think when I first moved to Nashville, I didn't realize you know, the the toll that like alcohol and late nights and, you know, would actually take on you. You don't think about that. You just think you're having a good time. And then after a while, you're like, wait a minute, what is going on? You know, I need to clean this up. So, um, you know, so those first few years were were pretty rough. But
0: Well, that's interesting because I was going to ask you about bars and churches you have those two sides on that song and you talk about your music being very personal to you and your writing. And so I was wondering with that, with the bars side of that song, if that's something you lived and something you kind of had to work through.
1: Yeah. I mean, lived. uh, Yeah. I mean, I, that I, I pretty much lived in a bar the first two years that I moved here. Um, uh, All my friends, we're at the bar, Uh, we'd write a song, we'd go to the bar, Uh, you know, I'd stay out till 2 a.m. in the morning, and then I'd get back up, and I'd go to sleep. Luckily, the writing day usually starts at 11, (laughs) so I was able to go write songs, and then by 2 o'clock, I was at the bar again, you know, talking about how great our song is, and and trying to just, the whole thing is you're just trying to convince yourself that you're there for a reason, that you need to be there. Right. Um, You know, you're, nobody else is going to, like, come in and you know ride in on a white horse and be like you're the greatest thing i mean maybe it happens for other people certainly didn't happen for me so <laughs> you know i uh, you know i literally you're just trying to convince yourself that you have a place there that you you know you have a voice there that you matter really right um, that you're something and you know so i i spent the first two to three years in this town just trying to convince myself of that uh, i went through three managers uh, i you know it it was it was a mess like it was a total mess and um you know it wasn't until um, i started to I, I i started to like you know really stop and think about why i was there what i was doing there what's the purpose because you just kind of get lost in um, a sea of like you know friends and who your friends are who are your friend, you know who's actually right. doing something for you who's not and you kind of just go through this whole thing and i i just finally you know i put a, a hit pause on the drinking and um i ended up sitting on a couch uh sleeping on a couch one of many couches i slept on uh at my new manager's house um who who manager is a very loose term somebody who uh just really believed in me and my talent. And just I would, I was literally like, I gotta go back and you know, work for dad's construction company. Like, this is where we're at. Right. And uh, you know, and uh, so I did that. Um, I'm just kind of ripping through this story. I know you didn't <laughs> yeah. ask, but you're getting no, it. Oh, no. it's all good, uh, I love it. But, <laughs> so I I spent so I was sleeping on her couch. Um, she totally believed in me. She was like I was like, no, I'm, I I was like, I need to go back home. And she's like, just, just come stay on my couch. You're not going to pay anything. Like, don't pay me anything. Just hang out, you know, and don't leave yet basically was the whole thing. And that was, this was October, I think of 20, uh, 2012, I think. And, uh, and so I'm sleeping on the couch. I have a massive migraine. I've been there for about a month. I have a massive migraine and, um, uh, I'm laying on the couch and then I get a phone call or I get a text from Cole Swindell, who at the time, nobody knew who Cole was. Yeah. Um, we were just three guys that wrote a bunch of songs that liked writing songs together. And um, and so uh, he gives me a text and he goes, Luke cut our song. And leading up to this, Luke had put dozen roses. He put it on hold three times. You know, he's like, Luke just cut our song. I was like, sure he did. You know, um, <laughs> I was like, no, he didn't. And, uh, and he was like, no, he did. And I was like, okay, all right. And then you know and then as soon as i got that cut like a lot of things started to change i was um i didn't end up moving away i now had a paycheck because uh i got a publishing deal shortly after that i was able to stay in that which just allowed me to stay basically right uh i was on a p2 work visa more chapel music uh, paid me to you know write songs for them for four years um and I ended up getting you know four or five cuts in this first year, and and I managed to salvage a career out of uh, out of just staying on my manager's couch and not going anywhere, just because somebody believed in me. So it was, uh, um, it's a it's a wild story. I know I know a lot of people. I, I feel like you have to get to that breaking point in Nashville, and Nashville has this way of being like, you're like screw you town, I'm out of here, and then they are like, uh, really? And then they <laughs> Kind of dangle it giant luke Bryan carrot in front of your face and (laughs) and uh and then you know and i've been here ever since so
0: yeah so that was 2013 that you got that cut and then do you remember a point that hit where you felt the artist Career was a possibility because up to then it was more the writer career in nashville right so yeah. do you remember the point where it was like okay now i can get my artist career going here this is the point where it starts
1: yeah i i um i it's a little difficult for me to answer because i always i always believed that i was an artist i just knew that writing songs was going to be um my ticket in you right know? my ticket into the ball basically <laughs> and um so i just kept writing songs and i also knew that like if i wanted to you know in order to be the artist that i wanted to be i needed to learn how to write the best songs i could possibly write so i put a lot of years into that yeah and uh um and i you know warren chapel was successful the first year i had to um you know i had four or five cuts which for a new writer is pretty crazy um, a lot of writers don't even get a cut in their first year. So I came in with a cut. Then I got four more, um, and then, uh, or four or five more. I can't really remember. And then I started having some cuts in Canada that were, um, artists, you know, people in Canada were like, oh, you're writing songs for Warner chapel now, you know? Um, you know, so then that kind of opened a bunch of doors and probably about two or two years into my Warner chapel deal is when I sort of went. I sort of just started to switch my focus you know my uh my publisher had left and went to a label um i was kind of like a lost puppy at that company they were like you know it's like who's going to pick up aaron's ball and you know (laughs) right and uh and then so uh so you know and i i did end up finding a good publisher over there that was super supportive but you know uh after about four years of doing that um i about two years into that i started like kind of transitioning into um you know, I had had some cuts, I had some success as a writer. Um, I was really happy with that. Uh, But I was like, you know, now I'm about, I don't know, 20, probably about turning 30, somewhere in there, 29, 30. And I'm going like, I need to do what I came here to do. Right. I've wasted a lot of years, you know, (laughs) uh, hanging out. And uh, but so I just said, you know, I need to do this. So I uh, I teamed up with a guy that I wrote a ton of songs with named Bart Butler. Um, I started looking for a producer. I teamed up with him. Um, he ended up being the best man at my wedding. He produces uh, John Party records and uh, all this stuff. Um, and he is still to this day, one of my great friends. Um, doesn't produce my records anymore, but we're really good friends. And I, uh, you know, I started just looking for a producer. I tried to, I realized those songs that I was writing for those people weren't really me, so but I had a whole stack of songs that um, that I thought were, and uh, um, so I just started kind of playing those for people and going around. And um, uh, the day I fired my manager um, was the day that uh, was uh, because of a uh, we had a um, what they call a Nashville showcase. We had that set up at Warren Chapel. We were gonna have these labels come by. Right. And to this day, I would have got a record deal that day. I promise you, but nobody showed up really, and yeah, nobody showed up. So I fired that manager. He's like, give me 30 days. I was like, okay, well, you'll have 30 days, but like, you know, I need to like, move on. We, I need to do something new. So literally the day I fired him was the day that I got a call from, uh, uh, basically from Johnny Reed. So Johnny had was, uh, Bart and I had written all these songs together and johnny uh had heard a a pile of those songs was looking at that catalog for whatever reason um heard all these aaron and bart songs and heard this guy singing them he's like who is this guy and jennifer the uh the um publisher at that company was like oh that's aaron goodman she goes oh he's canadian you know (laughs) Um, so they started talking about all this and um johnny had called out of the blue and was like hey i heard all these songs hey mate i heard all these songs here and uh Um, This is with his accent. And um, so it was a very emotional roller coaster of a day from going no label showed up to, you know, then Johnny recalls. And so that 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 to me was like, you know, I'm a very. uh, um, I go a lot on energy and when something kind of falls through, there's a reason for it. So now my focus was not being an artist in Canada. You know, my focus was being an artist. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and but like Johnny kind of came along. We sent him a bunch of songs. Uh, he had heard, uh, he kind of flipped, he flipped out over three songs. Um, one was Woman in Love. One was uh, Miss Me Yet. One was Lonely Drum." He's like, these three are gold. And so he just, he just basically said we had a meeting. He was like, let me bring you some opportunities. And he flew up to Toronto and met with all the labels. Uh, Warner Canada uh, was, probably the most interested in what we were going to do. And I was going to be on the first half of Johnny's tour and, um, or I was going to be on Johnny's tour opening. And, uh, and then I basically then, uh, so all that happened. And Johnny, like the next Friday, like flies me, we fly up uh, to Toronto. We land at about 9am. We go over to the label. I play him some songs. I play him another song called knock on wood, which ended up being my, first single um and uh and the, like the like signed my record deal that day like i brought my guitar and played and they were like oh my god this guy's real like because they, <laughs> they didn't even know me from adam the, the day but, i met everybody up there was the day i signed my record deal so um it was uh it was pretty amazing um and it's been rocking in canada ever since and uh it's just amazing how it all unfolds so Yeah,
0: and so that was 2016 when you released that debut album, which included Lonely Drum. Now, so flash forward four or five years and this month, Lonely Drum all of a sudden blows up on the Bobby Bones show. And after all this time of living in the States and wanting to have this career in the States, finally, all of a sudden, it like blows up what is that like for you to finally have that attention on your music in the states
1: it's i mean it's incredible i mean it's kind of the dream it's what you dream about uh this was an idea that my management company had that i that they mentioned in passing uh not as like uh this is what we're doing it's going to be great it was like hey, he's got the Friday morning dance party, Lonely Drums, perfect for it, blah, blah, blah. I have an amazing management team. They're very wonderful. And they made this giant plaque and did this whole thing. And like, you know, for your consideration, for your dance party, gave him some Lonely drum cookies. <laughs> Still don't know what those look like or what they tasted like. Apparently it was some famous cookie guy. I don't know. It was, I don't know. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and and Bobby, you know, the, the funniest thing about it was that he he did something that I've never seen anybody else do in radio which is play a song he's never heard before. Uh, It's like almost unheard of. And they almost, I think they almost did it as a joke. Like they, they didn't, they honestly couldn't have, they're like, I don't know if this is a, like, I don't know what this is. Like (laughs) this could be the worst song in the world. Like we don't know. I mean, obviously it's got, you know, with, with what we presented on the, on the poster, I mean, you know, 27 million streams and on like (laughs) line dance, blah, blah, blah. And, all this stuff. And, um, of course he played it and was just like, I'm in, I love it and played it on the dance party, started playing it on his morning show. Um, and we gained a lot of followers and a lot of fans just from that, that one guy, um, (laughs) doing something. And it's really helped us, you know, with going to more major market stations to, you know, try and get this song on the air. But the bottom line about lonely drum is that, um, in Canada, it just proves that what this song is is so much bigger than us, bigger than me, bigger than. Um, I've talked to every major country artist there is in Canada, and they're like, "Lonely Drum," like what that, like nobody can explain it, you know. <laughs> and so, and and I know that like, uh, and there's stations up in Canada, that get requests for it every day. Still to this day, I'm like, I'm like this. If if I'm gonna go to radio with one song you know if i only have one more chance right then i'm gonna go with lonely drum because i know that i know once they play it they're gonna keep playing it and i know once the i know once the uh you know once once people hear it you know there's people that heard lonely drum for the first time on the bobby bones show right and that's what's so crazy about it and and it's like it's like this song just has it's just magic you know let it do what it does and it'll be amazing
0: And so with that experience this month and then you have Boy Like Me go number one and that all happens before you actually released your EP. And so how much confidence did that give you having that early in the month going into the release of this EP? Were you pretty confident with how things were moving along?
1: Yeah. I mean, like we're, I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, there's a There's kind of a new uh, energy around everything that we're doing. Uh, The label is super excited. Um, We're all super excited. I mean, this is this is why we do what we do. We do it so that you can gain this type of momentum. Um, And I am I mean, I just you know, I'm very, very blessed that uh, there's no way that we'd be able to do all these amazing things without the the teamwork that we have, which is, you know, between management label Um, the people that write songs with me that like, there's just a whole group of people that, um, are, are, we're all fans of each other. Um, and it's just a lot of fun, you know, and this is like why we do everything. And I, you know, I, I think I believe, I mean, I believed in myself when nobody else did. So that's, you know, like, um, and, and I had to go through years of that for, you know, like there was a lot of time in there where I, I had to literally, like, I just wouldn't go away, you know, right. because I knew, I knew that if I kept on, you know, my dad, my dad said, uh, said to me growing up, he goes, Aaron, you know why I'm the best carpenter? And I was like, well, I don't know that you are the best carpenter dad, but, uh, I said, but tell me anyway. And he said, cause I just outlasted everybody else. <laughs> um, and so like, that is literally in my DNA, like that that work ethic of just not giving up, not quitting, people know that I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm not going to go anywhere. That's why you have <laughs> to just like understand that I'm sticking around and I'm not going anywhere. And and uh, and uh it's just cool that, you know, it's starting to happen in the US. Um, it just in the same way it happened in Canada. This was a, this was a, like this record is my third record. Um, uh, It's proving to be extremely successful already. We've only had it out for I don't know a few days, yeah, and uh, and it's it's streaming like crazy. People are loving it, and but this is just a product of years and years of like you know pushing this giant rock up a hill, and um, maybe we can start to go downhill a little, a little more. <laughs> yeah. And with the new EP,
0: Lucky Stars. Now you talk about sort of being an album guy, and when you were young, going to the store and getting the album. So when you were coming into this new project. Were you thinking EP or did you know what it was going to look like? Or did you, it just sort of develop as you went into it?
1: Yeah, we well, we knew it was going to be an EP uh, shortly. Uh, we started working like on a full album, but very quickly, uh, Warner um, was uh, kind of relaying to us that they'd really like us to go to more of an EP format. So that one, we could get a record out every year if you have a record out every year. Uh, you could be up for, you know, more awards. Um, you have to, you know, CCMAs and Junos, like you have to have something relevant that came out, uh, you know, so we wanted to be kind of, we wanted to position ourselves a little better t- for that. And then also, I mean, it was at first I was like, oh, I'm going to really miss doing an album just because I grew <laughs> up with them. And that's uh, what I did. But I also understand that, you know, we kind of just live in an instant gratification kind of world where you know, you constantly have to be giving new content, um, and, uh, putting new stuff up for people to hear. Um, it's one of the reasons why my fan club, I started that a drop a song every month. Uh, it's just like constantly, um, you know, feeding people content and (laughs) and things that they want. And so, you know, so I understand it from that point of view, the thing that really, you know, I'm going to miss the album for sure, but, uh, I understand like one of my favorite things about this is like, there's a sense of urgency every time we go into the studio, um, right? There's no, you know, it's like you write a song and you get the energy from that actual song that you wrote and you can get to go record it. You know, we were, we recorded a song like called you ain't off this record that was written a week before we cut it. Oh, wow. You know, so it's, like you get a lot of energy from that. And it's, um, you know, and I think that shows up in the streams. Like, I think people can hear that. So I think it's pretty exciting. Right.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on all this success. It's been quite a journey and thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us.
1: Dude, no problem. Thank you so much and have a good one.
0: Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Aaron for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his new EP, Lucky Stars, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us wherever you are listening. You can leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.